This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome back to the Der Show. Until last night, um, much of my attention uh, has been devoted to what's been going on in the Middle East, in Gaza, and uh, a lot of my attention has been focused on what I wrote about in my book, War Against the, the Jews. Indeed, uh, over the weekend, the book um, uh, hit, I think, number 12 of uh, nonfiction bestsellers on Amazon. So a lot of people were very interested in what's uh, going on in the Middle East as of last night. Oh, my focus shifted a little bit to my previous book, Get Trump, because of what the Colorado Supreme Court uh, did uh, uh, last night. And so today I'm going to give a seminar on the Colorado Supreme Court's decision and on the 14th Amendment, as I might do if I were teaching. Um, if I were teaching, I would be asking the questions instead of asserting my points of view. So uh, take that into account. But uh, but uh, uh, I, I will go over the, the Supreme Court's decision and the likely outcome of an appeal to the United States uh, Supreme Court. Um, so... I'm going to violate my rule because this is television, not classroom. I'm going to state my opinion in, in class. I would just raise questions, but I'm going to state my opinion because I think this is uh, one of the most dangerous uh, Supreme Court decisions I've seen in my 60 years of practicing and teaching law. It is, in my view, a completely lawless decision. I just watched on CNN as a former federal uh, judge um, supported the decision, and even though he's conservative and uh, a Republican, he supported the decision because he hates Trump, but he made no sense at all. So let, let's start out with who, who decided what was decided. The first thing is that the decision to take Trump off the ballot in Colorado was made by the Colorado courts. At first, there was a district court determination that said, no, um, the 14th Amendment doesn't really apply to the president. And then the Supreme Court overruled that. And in a four to three decision, all seven justices being appointed by Democrats, um, the uh, um, majority ruled that not only he could, but he must be taken off the ballot. And the secretary of state uh, has no power to put him on the ballot. He is disqualified from running for president. By the way, although the decision is limited to Colorado in effect, the ruling would apply to every state because what, what the Supreme Court of uh, Colorado said is that um, Donald Trump committed an act of insurrection, which under the 14th Amendment disqualifies him from serving as president. Well, let me just <laughs> read you the 14th Amendment and see how totally wrong the decision was. It says no person shall be a senator or representative 
uh, in Congress. It doesn't say president. That's a pretty serious omission. Um, or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil and military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of the state legislature to support the Constitution, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion. Well, first of all, presidents don't take that oath. They take a different oath. Uh, the oath that is described in this um, opinion is the oath that members of Congress take, and that's to support and defend the Constitution. The president has a slightly different oath. Not, not very different, but technicalities matter when you're interpreting the Constitution to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. So uh, this, the word support, which appears in the um, uh, 14th Amendment, does not appear in the presidential oath. Taken together, they might that might very well lead to the conclusion that the framers of the amendment didn't intend to include a president. They might very well have said the following, look, anybody who fought for the Confederacy, we're not going to let them in Congress. We're not going to let them into the House, into the Senate, or other offices of, of the United States because, you know, they'll do mischief. They'll try to end Reconstruction, which we're very interested in having. But when it comes to the president, well, that's a unique office, and maybe the public should have a right to make the decision who's president by taking into account the totality of a person's career. Say Robert E. Lee decided to run uh, for president. He was a very distinguished person, very distinguished graduate of West Point. He fought for the South, to be sure. But uh, then he, you know, came and supported the United States, as many of the generals in the South did. I'm not saying that's what the framers of the 14th Amendment had in mind. I'm just saying you can't tell from the words of the statute that they didn't have that in mind. But that's not, not even close to the most glaring error. Here's the most glaring error. The 14th Amendment itself says it's divided into five sections. Section three is, is the one that says you can't hold an office. But and, and there are all kind of words in it that are vague in general, even, even the operative words, insurrection or rebellion, or, or given aid and comfort to the enemies. Those are not self-defining terms. Um, Governor of Texas, I think, today suggested that maybe it applies to President Biden having given aid and comfort to insurrectionists who come over the border because he hasn't closed the border. I think an, an absurd point of view, but is it really less absurd than what the Colorado Supreme Court wrote? But but here's the exact text. When it comes to interpreting these words or creating procedures uh, to determine whether or not a person fits under the statute, it, it doesn't give that authority to state courts. It doesn't give it to courts. It doesn't give it to the state. Here's what it says. It's in, in bold words. Uh, nobody can erase these words. Although Judge Lutek apparently erased those words from his from his thinking and other judges and Larry Tribe and um, and and um, um, congressman, various congressmen, Jamie Raskin, my former student, um, they just erase Section 5. Section 5 says, the Congress, that means the United States Congress, the House of Representatives and the Senate, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. They give the power to Congress, not to the states. And it's obvious why they did it. It's so clear. Just know a little bit of history, Judge Ludic. Please read 
a book about the Civil War, Professor Tribe. Uh, and Jamie Raskin, go, you know, talk to people who understand what was going on during the Reconstruction period. So here you have a bunch of <clears throat> radical Republicans, Republicans in those days were the party of Abraham Lincoln, <clears throat> radical Republican people who want Reconstruction. And they don't. They want to make sure that that's not thwarted by a bunch of old Confederates who are going to take over Congress or take over the the Senate. So they preclude them from running. Now we have to decide who makes the decision as to who is an insurrectionist or uh, a rebellion. Can you imagine these radical Republican Northerners saying, "Hey, I got a great idea." Why don't we leave that decision to the states, including Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, all the states that were just fighting us, the secession of states, the ones that don't want Reconstruction, Georgia, South Carolina, that's who the states were. If you left it to the states, you would have been totally undercutting what you wanted to do. So, of course, they didn't give it to the states to determine how to interpret and construe the statute or what procedural safeguards should apply. They left it to the Congress shall have the power, not the Congress and the states, not the states, just the Congress. And here's my prediction. I don't predict often, but when I do, I'm generally right. I think the Supreme Court will focus on that. I think the Supreme Court will focus on the fact that there's no authority in the 14th Amendment for application by state courts. A, there's no authority for application by courts at all, but certainly not by the state courts. So that's the first, the first question. The second question is, what's an insurrection? Is what happened after Black Lives Matter got formed with cars being turned over and courthouses being taken over? Was that an insurrection? Um, I don't know what an insurrection means. Uh, I know that protests go bad, and they did on January 6th, and they did for Black Lives Matter. And many of them have been going bad in New York and around the country about Israel and about whether or not the United States should support Israel. Protests have turned violent, some signs. Uh, they're uh, talking about the United States government being uh, accountable for this. Remember the people who organized these riots, some of them are you know, Socialist Workers Parties of America and all that kind of stuff, who advocate the overthrow of the government. And let's remember that a man ran for president in the 1920s uh, who was accused of advocating the violent overthrow of the government. He was in prison, Eugene V. Debs, and he got 3 million votes. Nobody took him off the ballot. Nobody thought of invoking the 14th Amendment. And that was closer in time, obviously, to the enactment of the 14th Amendment. It never occurred to anybody. Maybe somebody can find something in the newspapers. I've checked. I can't find a single reference to the 14th Amendment when Eugene V. Debs was running for president of the United States. But Professor Tribe and Jamie Raskin and Judge Lutek, all of whom believe the Constitution is a piece of clay uh, that can be manipulated and shaped into whatever form you think will serve the best interests 
of your views. Now, your views may be progressive, radical views, um, or they may be just Democratic views, or in Judge Ludic's case, just anti-Trump views. But there's no plausible reading of the text of this Constitution which entitles a state court to determine that a candidate for president is ineligible to hold uh, office. And, and um, by the way, it doesn't talk about running for office. That's a distinction without a difference. But um, you can't hold office. Now, you know, it, it, did the framers of the 14th Amendment actually want to amend the impeachment provisions? The impeachment provisions are very carefully laid out. When a president is to be impeached, remember, it also includes a disqualification. The impeachment provisions of the Constitution also allow the Senate to vote not to allow the person impeached ever to run for office. Again, requires two-thirds of a vote in the Senate. Procedures set out. The Chief Justice has to preside if the president is on trial. There are rules, evidentiary rules, that have been developed over time, but not under the 14th Amendment. Nobody knows how to determine whether or not a person is guilty of uh, having engaged in insurrection or rebellion or uh, given aid or, 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 or comfort. We just don't know what that is intended to mean, what it's intended to cover. And there has to be a mechanism for interpreting those words. They're not self-defining. They don't just jump out at you. There has to be a mechanism. Sure, impeachment has some vague terms too. Uh, obviously, high crimes and misdemeanors. But the Constitution provides a mechanism. The mechanism is the House votes to impeach, and then the Senate, after a trial presided over by the Chief Justice, decides whether he's uh, guilty of treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. There's nothing like that in the 14th Amendment. So what <laughs> the Colorado Supreme Court had to do is make it up as they go along. No precedent. It's never happened before. So it's a kind of jerry-rigged ad hoc approach. And I guarantee you that the justices started out by saying, let's make sure he's off the ballot. Now let's turn to Professor Tribe and Judge Ludic and, and Jamie Raskin, and let's see if they can provide us with reasons for reaching the predetermined result we have already reached. I'm confident because that's the way result-oriented, excuse me, I'm a little cold, result-oriented jurisprudence works. You start out with the result. You want Roe versus Wade overruled. You don't want it overruled. Then you figure out arguments. You know, I taught smart Harvard students for 50 years. A good student can figure out how to get to any result they want to, particularly under the broad, vague terms of the Constitution. Now, there are some that they can't. For example, when it says you have to be 35 to run for president, you can't be 34 and a half. Um, by the way, you can be as long as you don't serve before you're 35. Joe Biden was elected to the Senate before he turned 30, but he served only when he turned uh, 30. So there are some provisions that you can't, they're not, they're not ambiguous. Let me tell you one of those provisions that's not ambiguous. There's no two ways of interpreting it. 
Section five, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. That means the Colorado Supreme Court has no authority to do that. Congress has never done it. They've never defined the rules because nobody in Congress ever thought, it never occurred to them that this Civil War amendment has any application to an election in 2024. This was an amendment that was designed for its time. It was part of what people call the post-Civil War Treaty between the North and the South. That is the 14th, 13th, and 15th Amendments were the Peace Treaty. And if you read the whole 14th Amendment, it's so clear it refers to the Civil War. It refers explicitly to the Civil War debt. It refers explicitly to slavery. I don't think we had slavery um, after the the Civil War. It's a Civil War amendment designed to prevent people who fought for the South from serving in certain offices. Now, Donald Trump's old, not as old as I am, but he's old, not old enough to have served in the Civil War. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Professor Tribe. I'm sorry, Judge Ludic. I'm sorry, Congressman Raskin, but Trump just didn't serve in the Civil War. Now, he himself has made some foolish statements about presidential disqualification. You know, he claimed that um, that um, Barack Obama was born in Kenya, as if that mattered. It didn't matter, because even if Barack Obama was born on the moon uh, or in Kenya or in North Korea, he could still serve as president because he was a natural-born citizen, born to a mother who was an American citizen. It doesn't matter where you're born. You're a natural born citizen if you're born to an American mother. And even Donald Trump didn't say, oh, well, well, this woman from Kansas, she wasn't really, really American. Uh, She married a black man, so maybe she's not an American. Even he didn't go that far. And, And, you know, but just because President Trump did something foolish in terms of trying to disqualify uh, legitimate people from running for president um, doesn't mean we should make the same mistake. No, I I, I criticized Trump when he did it, uh, and I criticize the Democrats for doing it now. There has to be one standard, one standard for all. And so there are at least five or six good reasons why this decision of the Colorado Supreme Court is just dead wrong. With great inflation, a D minus. Obviously, if the professors had been Professor Tribe and Professor Raskin, um, probably an A plus, but uh, that would be giving themselves an A plus. Um, And um, uh, so what happens now? Let me make some predictions what I think will happen. Already, the Supreme Court of Colorado has given a short stay until early January when the Supreme Court reconvenes in order to determine whether the Supreme Court will take the case and will itself grant an additional stay. I think the Supreme Court will grant an additional stay, certainly until it decides whether to take the case. If it were to decide not to take the case and leave the Colorado decision alone, which I I doubt would happen, then they wouldn't grant the stay. But if they're going to decide the case on the merits, then 
uh, I think they will grant the stay. And then the Supreme Court will set out an argument schedule, probably very quick. Uh, I would say if they get to the case in January, probably the argument will take place in February. And then maybe by the end of February, short month, but by the end of February, um, there might very well be a decision. My prediction that the Supreme Court of the United States will not, will not affirm the uh, Colorado uh, Supreme Court decision. I'm going to make another, not going to make it as a prediction because I can't tell, but my guess, so don't count it as a prediction, but my guess is it's not going to be a five to four decision with just the conservative uh, justices and uh, or a six to three decision with the conservative justices and, and the chief justice. I suspect that at least some of the liberal justices may see the light on this one. Um, I did teach Jamie Raskin, but I also taught um, uh, Justice Kagan. Uh, don't know <laughs> whether she remembers anything I, I taught her. Raskin obviously doesn't. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Justice Kagan um, uh, read the Constitution a little bit more closely than the Colorado Supreme Court did. But you never know. I mean, we've become so politicized. The justice system has become so weaponized that you can't really predict how justices will vote. It could be six to three. That would be too bad because that would replicate what happened in Bush versus Gore. Five to four, five Republican appointed justices giving the presidency to Bush and four Democratic appointed justices saying no, the recount uh, should should continue. Um, I had opportunity to discuss the opinion with several justices, um, most especially Justice Scalia. I published what our conversations were. I was very critical of him in my book, Supreme Injustice, and he took the criticism in stride, didn't like it, but he took it in stride, and we had opportunity to discuss it. He wrote me a long letter about it, and then we talked about it. I met with him just uh, a few weeks before his death. And that subject came up again because it was always uh, on the top of our of our agenda. So um, I'll go out on a limb. You know, I do think the Supreme Court will probably take the case. And I do think the Supreme Court probably will not affirm. Um, it's possible they could affirm in part. But there are a lot of things that have to be affirmed um, before you can um, allow the decision of the Colorado Supreme Court to have full force and effect. And I just think some of them are bridged too far. I think particularly, and if I had to guess which provision they would focus on, I think it would be Section 5, that Congress has the power and the states and state courts don't have the power. Because the idea of every state deciding differently who's on the ballot you know, it's, it's, it, it will create turmoil. And the one thing I want out of the 2024 election, um, I want to see that whoever wins, the election is clear, fair, and indisputable. I don't want the loser to be able to complain the way uh, Donald Trump improperly, in my view, complained about the 2000 election. But I have to tell you, if Trump is taken off the ballot in a single state and he loses... Uh, he'll have a lot to complain about. And although I'm going to vote against him, I'm going to be on his side on that issue. And I'm on his side, or on the side of the Constitution, generally 
on that issue. So let's wait and see what the court does and hold me to my predictions and I'll apologize if the predictions don't come true. So far, I have a pretty darn good record on predictions and you can read about them and, and get Trump because I, I mentioned the predictions that I've made, and particularly about Trump, because it's pretty easy to make predictions about how the courts will decide most of those cases because the courts often are fed up with attempts to single out people for a double standard of prosecution. So this case does impose a double standard. And I firmly believe that if it involved um, a resurrection allegedly committed by Joe Biden, the court would have come out differently than it came out uh, uh, in the in the five uh, in the four to three vote. Okay, let's get some letters. Mr. D, you defend Jack the Ripper. Of course I would. You have a doubt about that? Of course I defend Jack the Ripper. I've defended people like Jack uh, the Ripper. Uh, everybody gets a defense. Uh, John Adams, my God, you would defend the Boston Massacre uh, people. Well, Abraham Lincoln, you you would defend murderers and, 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 and rapists. Thurgood Marshall, oh my God, you would, yes, we would all defend the most serious accused criminals, because that's what the Constitution requires. Everybody gets a defense, according to some people, not Jeffrey Epstein. So that's the next letter. Epstein's Island, you've been there? Yes, I was there with my wife and my daughter. She was about 10 years old at the time. There was no one on the island except Jeffrey Epstein and his then girlfriend and a couple of repairmen, no women, no girls, no nothing like that. Um, we were there for one day, slept over one night, no hanky-panky, nothing. Uh, yes, I was on the island. Uh, I knew him at the time. I was part of the group of people who attended his seminars, and we were in Guadalupe on vacation, and he sent a small airplane, uh, not one of his big ones, uh, just a, a, a propeller plane, flew us to... Um, St. whatever it is, St. Thomas or something near his island, took a boat, went there, looked at the island. It was in disarray. There were no people there, as I said. Left. Yes, I was on Jeffrey Epstein's. I was on his airplane, too. I was his lawyer. And he flew me down to argue the case. He also flew me and my nephew to watch a launch of, of a space vehicle where Russians and Americans uh, flew together. And yes, I attended seminars at Harvard Law School with the president of Harvard, with the man who decoded the genome, with the professor this and professor that. Yes, yes, all of that is true. But as the woman who accused me said, well, I may have um, misidentified him. Maybe I made a mistake in, in identifying him. Obviously, I, I have never had sex with anybody uh, other than my wife since the day I met Jeffrey Epstein. And I've said that from day one and I've said it under oath and I'll continue to say it under oath. If I'm, if I'm asked now, a lot of the papers are getting revealed and I'm thrilled with that. I want every single reveal, every single paper revealed because obviously they'll back up what I've been saying from, <coughs> excuse me, from day one. And from day one, I've asked for all the papers <coughs> Sorry, it's getting worse as as we talk. From day one, I've always wanted all the papers to be released. 
<coughs> and that's been our position. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, a little hot tea, maybe some chicken soup. We'll see if it, if it gets any better. I don't have COVID. It's tested for that. I don't have fever. Just cold, I hope. Ah. Dear Professor Dershowitz, I enjoy your regular podcast. <coughs> and I've benefited very much uh, from reading many of them. The War Against the Jews. I have a question. Recently, one of your podcast episodes, you mentioned very briefly, I paraphrase, that you do not support the general public bearing arms for protection against government tyranny. I hope to learn more about your thinking on that topic, which is very interesting to me. Thank you. Look, in the world in which we live, armed people with 22 <coughs> and even Uzis are not going to overthrow the government of the United States. So the idea that people have guns in order to overthrow the government maybe was true in the 18th century when the Second Amendment was drafted, but certainly it doesn't seem to be true today. Okay. One more, and then I have to go get my tea. I've forgotten how many bananas we were up to, according to the professor, but certainly the Colorado's uh, Supreme Court opinion adds at least one more. Yeah, we were up to six. And if the Supreme Court of the United States were to affirm the Colorado Supreme Court, we get to seven. I won't give another banana to the Colorado Supreme Court because his decision is so self-evidently wrong and I think rejected by a majority of Americans and I suspect will be rejected by the Supreme Court. So we'll stick with six, but boy, it gets a seventh. It probably gets an eighth if the Supreme Court were actually to affirm it, but stay tuned. I don't think they will. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.